High Praise Podcasts. Hey everybody, this is Pastor Joshua, lead pastor here at High Praise, and I want to thank you for downloading today's podcast. We know that this message is going to encourage and bless you. So I want you to open up your heart and receive what the Lord has for you today. Last week, we began a new series uh, called At the Core. Uh, Once again, we really felt like at the beginning of the year with growth, expansion, everything God has been doing and is doing, we felt it really imperative to go back and restate some core principles, uh, some of the things that are at the nucleus of who we are. And uh, last week, we talked about being uh, a church that is a church of generational synergy. If you didn't listen, if you weren't here, uh, I was going to say if you didn't listen to it, but hopefully if you were here, you listened. Uh, if you weren't here last week, I would encourage you go watch it on Facebook or YouTube, download the podcast, something, and listen to that message because I believe it is so imperative and such an important part of who we are that we are not just a church for one generation. We are not a church just for one generation any more than we are a church for one gender or one race. And we are not those things. We are a church for generations, for every generation on the earth and for those yet to come. This is a church for you. This is a church for them. We are multi-generational. We are dynastic in our thinking. We're not just thinking about us. Dad isn't just thinking about his generation. I'm not just thinking about my generation. We are thinking about generations and what God is going to do and what he wants to do through every generation. But today, I want to talk about another piece of the puzzle that makes us who we are. Something that really is imperative to us, and it's really just this simply put, we are a house of restoration. So I tell you to turn to Mark chapter 2. Mark chapter 2, if I didn't tell you to turn there, Do it fast. Mark 2, verse 13. It says this. uh, Then he, Jesus, went out again by the sea. Which, by the way, I'm just going to stop here for a second. I really believe we should all be like Jesus sometimes and just go out by the sea. And the church said, amen. Whenever I'm, whenever I'm, I'm somewhere tropical, I'm just like, I'm just being like Jesus. I'm out by the sea. Then he went out again by the sea and all the multitude came to him and he taught them. As he passed by, he saw Levi, the son of Alphaeus, sitting at the tax office, and he said to him, follow me. So he arose and followed him. Now it happened as he was dining in Levi's house that many tax collectors and sinners, say many, many tax collectors and sinners also sat together with Jesus and his disciples, for there were many And they followed him. And when the scribes and Pharisees saw him eating with the tax collectors and sinners, they said to his disciples, how is it that he eats and drinks with tax collectors and sinners? And when Jesus heard it, (laughs) if you really read that and you don't just read it, but you really read it, What's happening is Jesus is sitting down, and we'll talk about this in a minute, but he's ministering, he's engaging with these people who need a touch from God, and people off on the side who think they have it all together are chirping, and Jesus hears it, 
And when Jesus hears it, he responds. We're about to read his response. But if you've ever watched like a, a Bible show or something, you know, I, I know right now The Chosen is really popular. I haven't really watched much of that. I know that's sacrilegious to some of you, but I haven't really watched much of it. I don't know how their portrayal of Jesus is, but traditionally what you see in, in, in any sort of, uh, of dramatization about the life of Jesus is Jesus hears something like this and he looks over and he just answers calmly and just says something really soft spoken and nice and I, I, I believe Jesus response here was a little bit upset I believe Jesus may have had a little bit of an attitude you ever been trying to engage in something and somebody's over there talking about what you're doing and you kind of y'all don't you don't look at me in that tone of voice y'all know what I'm talking about and whenever you respond you don't just necessarily talk quietly and softly to them and they're chirping and talking about Jesus, and Jesus hears it, and he says to them, those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. I did not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. I did not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. Whenever we really read the New Testament narrative, we read uh, what Jesus did, we read about his life, his, his three years of ministry on the earth, we really need to understand that when Jesus shows up on the scene, he begins to cause a major upheaval of what culture has always seen from religious leaders. They have always seen religious leaders behave in one way, act in one way, engage with people in a certain manner. And Jesus comes in and Jesus is completely countercultural to the way that the Pharisees have acted and the Sadducees have acted, which is what that entire generation has seen. A generation has seen religious leaders that treat sinners like they're lepers. And then Jesus shows up and he doesn't treat them like they're lepers, but rather he sits and dines at tables with them. But rather, instead of treating them like they are some sort of plague, he begins to engage with them in a way that Pharisees and Sadducees didn't do, even though Jesus was way more holy than the Pharisees and Sadducees could have ever hoped to be. They stand with a false holiness, and they act like they are the plague. But Jesus stands in true holiness and begins to engage with these people Jesus isn't afraid to get his hands dirty Jesus gets around the people that everybody else despises you have to understand you read this and this is Levi the son of Alphaeus who, who, who was uh, at the tax office this is not a good guy this is somebody who has problems we see all throughout Jesus's ministry he is constantly engaging and calling the people who everybody else has called unworthy we know that one of his disciples is a man named Matthew. Matthew was a tax collector. And you know, whenever you really begin to realize what a tax collector was in their day, it was something much worse than an IRS agent in our day. And y'all don't like the IRS agents anyways. Nobody likes getting a call from the IRS. Y'all know what I'm talking about? Hey, you're being audited. Nobody goes, praise God, this is what I've been believing for for years. I'm so excited that I'm about to answer to the IRS for all of these things. And yeah, 
It's worse than that. Because these are tax collectors who are, who, are, who are Jews who are serving Romans. It, it, is, it would be the equivalent in the modern day. It would be the equivalent of this. If communist China invaded the United States and put us under their dominion, and then they took people who were born as American citizens and said, you are going to go collect money from other Americans and you're going to take an, a God awful amount and then those people were also stealing on top of that. How many of you know if somebody who was your friend whenever you were in elementary school started working for a foreign adversary that you were under their dominion and showed up at your house to take your money, they would not be your childhood best friend anymore. As a matter of fact, it would probably be the person on the face of this planet that you despise more than anybody else. And whenever Jesus starts calling his disciples, he doesn't call the Pharisees and the Sadducees. He calls the tax collector. When Jesus starts calling his disciples, he doesn't call the people that have it all together. He calls the fishermen. When Jesus starts calling his disciples, he doesn't, he doesn't necessarily call the ones who are at the synagogue and, and were at the altar. He goes and he calls the zealot. He calls the ones that everybody else says are not worthy and are disqualified. Jesus wasn't afraid of people's problems. Jesus caused their major upheaval. The New Testament says things about him like, like this, it says that uh, the common people heard him gladly. It says that in Mark 12, 37. Non-religious people were attracted to Jesus. People who wanted to act like they had it all together, all while having secret sins and issues, they're the ones who had problems with Jesus. And can I just say, it? it's the same today. There's a lot of people that like the idea of Jesus, but they don't really actually like Jesus that much. They liked the idea of a Messiah, but when the Messiah showed up and he started talking to people that weren't like them, there's no way that could be the Messiah. We like the idea of Jesus until we realize that Jesus also came for the people that we don't like. I got real quiet in here. And that Jesus calls the people that you don't like. The people you don't click with, people who don't think like you, that he calls them as well, we're not as big of a fan. Jesus was a real approachable person that was concerned about people more than meeting the religious acceptance of the day. Jesus was in the business of restoration. And that's still the purpose of the church today is to reach people in their current condition and act as a house of restoration. You don't have to have it all together to come to high praise. And we all should say, thank God. You don't have to have it all together. I'm going to take it a step further. You don't have to act like you have it all together. You can come as you are in your brokenness, in your messed up life, with a jacked up marriage, with messed up kids, and you know what we're gonna say? We're glad you're here. You're in the right place. You're in the right place. 
You can look different than me. You can smell different than me. You can be, I'm going to, some of y'all, we're going to really stretch, especially in election year. You can vote different than me. You can be in a different party than I am. You can have a different value system than I have right now. That's okay. Welcome. You're in the right place. Because there are people here who in your brokenness are willing to walk with you on a road of restoration. I remember years ago we had a young lady come into the church and, uh, and uh, she was maybe not dressed how most people would dress for Sunday morning church. Y'all can read between the lines. It wasn't obscene or pornographic, but the lady was certainly not. looked more like she stepped out of Club La Vila than she came ready for church. And I remember somebody came up to my, my, my mother in the hallway, Pastor Stacy, and they asked her, they said, hey, do we need to like, ask her to leave or something? And they were like, why? She said, why don't we ask somebody to leave who came to church? We can obviously look at her and tell that she needs a touch from God. Why in the world would we ask somebody to leave who needs... Jesus, why would we want? Why would we? Why would we run someone away? You don't know what happened to her last night. I mean, she may have stumbled out of the club at seven in the morning and may have felt broken and felt some contrition in her heart and said, "I just need to get to church." And you know what we're going to do for those people? We're going to say, "Welcome home. We're here for you." Because just like Jesus, we didn't come to call the righteous, but the sinner to repentance, the broken to restoration. Everybody, I could go around this room, and I'm not going to, but I could go around this room and tell you stories of people who, whenever they showed up on this doorstep, were broken, were messed up, had a list of problems a mile wide. And you know what? At the end of the day, their problems didn't freak me out because I know the one who holds the solution to every issue and every problem that the world has ever seen and will ever see. I'm going to talk about this more in a minute. But if Jesus isn't scared of their problem, I'm not going to be scared of their problem. If Jesus doesn't turn his back on them, I'm not going to turn my back on them. Because this is a house of restoration. I'm going to let you in on a little bit of a secret. Are you all ready for a revelation alert? People have problems. Welcome to the planet Earth. People have problems. It's okay to have problems. What's not okay is to remain in those problems and refuse restoration. But what makes it even worse is for us to know people have problems and not be willing to sit at a table with them and work through their problems and welcome them to dine with the one who has the solution. We want them in our altar. This is the way the church has been for so long. We want them at our altars, but we don't want them at our tables. We want them at our altars, but we don't want them at our tables. And if you're not willing to welcome them to the table, what happens at the altar will be a very short-lived experience. It might be an emotion that happens momentarily, but unless you're willing to sit with people and you're willing to talk and you're willing to show that you actually love them, not just you want to flex your spiritual muscle and pray for them, but you want to actually engage with them in where they're at. Jesus is ministering to these people, but you know the primary place he's ministering to them? He's ministering to them at a table. 
He invites them to come eat. He invites them to come and sit with him because Jesus knows that they need to know that he is for them. Not just that he is the Messiah, but that he is for them. A lot of y'all, most of you know, you know, uh, Pastor Garrett's been on staff with us now for getting close to a year and a half, I guess, getting pretty close. And whenever he showed up, they were, they were going through some stuff and they were, they were working through some problems. And for about two months, I think I had lunch with, with Garrett like every other day. Becca started getting mad at me. We ate together a lot. You know why? Because I wanted him to know that I was for him. I wanted him to have somebody he could talk to. Whenever he was in, his, in, in the situation they were working through, I didn't want to say, well, let me just pray for you, brother, and then we're just going to walk away and never speak again. I want to, I want to be an ear that you can talk to. I want you to be able to pour your heart out to me and, and, and tell me what you're going through and what you're feeling. We all have people like this in our lives that God will put in your path that you need to sit at a table with them. Because I can't sit at a table with everybody in this county. I can't sit at a table with your coworker, but you can. I can't sit at a table necessarily with your family member, but you can. We'll pray for you and we'll pray for them, but I don't know them. You do. You can be the one to engage with them. You can be the agent of restoration because that's what you are called to be. And I just have a question when we talk about people have problems and it is simply this. When will the people in the church stop being afraid of people's problems? We sing songs about how great and big and powerful and mighty our God is, but we sink back when people have issues like that powerful and mighty God doesn't live inside of you. Like the same spirit that raised Christ Jesus from the dead isn't actually in you. You don't have to be concerned and scared of people's problems. Are their problems and issues too big for God? Of course not. And we need to stop acting like it. We have to have a revelation of seeing the broken through the eyes of Jesus, not the eyes of what our culture has told us, not the eyes of what religion has told us, because that's what a pharisaical attitude of when you see people in their brokenness. When Jesus saw the tax collector and Jesus saw the prostitute and Jesus saw the broken, I believe whenever he saw them, he didn't see their brokenness. He saw their potential. What if you saw people's potential instead of their brokenness? What if you saw what God had called them to instead of their problems and invited them to dine at a table rather than looking down your nose at the been thinking you're so much holier and so much better and so much greater and so much more powerful and so much more anointed and so much, so much, so much. Listen, you used to be jacked up too. You had your problems before Jesus. You had your problems before deliverance. You had your problems before restoration. And God will often put people in your path that are a lot like what you went through. So you can be a beacon of hope to them. That you, the Bible says this in the book of Revelation, it says they overcame by the blood of the lamb and the word of their testimony. One of the biggest things that helps people overcome is whenever they've seen somebody who is where they are at right now and they see where they are now and they can tell them, let me tell you about where I used to be. Let me tell you about what God did for me. Let me tell you, and listen, we have scripture, we have all of that, and that's powerful and we believe that, but it's a lot more to whenever you have a personal testimony, especially to the unbeliever, than let me tell you about what Jesus did in Matthew 
Matthew so-and-so. That's wonderful. That's right. I'm not diminishing the power of that in any way, shape, form, or fashion. Don't misunderstand me. But whenever you were an alcoholic and you were a drunk and you had problems and you have a friend at work that's going through that and you can say, let me tell you where I was and look at where I'm at today. Whenever your marriage was broken and it was on life support and you've got some friends who their marriage is there now and you can say, let me tell you where we were two years ago and where we are today. You overcome by the blood of the Lamb and the word of your testimony. Jesus always had time for the broken. He didn't have time for the Pharisees. Give me the broken over the Pharisee 10 times out of 10. Give me the people who realize they're messed up more than the ones who think they're, they are good and they're not. Give me the ones who understand their brokenness over the ones who think they have it all together. Because the ones who think they have it all together are generally more broken than the ones that they call broken. Just to be honest, I think the reason the church has largely avoided the sinners and uh, avoided the broken is rooted in fear. We're scared of their sin. We're scared of the unknown. We're scared of people that are not like us. We're afraid their sinner cooties are going to get on us if we get too close. Y'all know what I'm talking about. Sometimes people act like if they get close to somebody who has sin in their life, like that's literally just like going to jump on them and overcome the righteousness of God in their life and the holiness. Like if I go somewhere, I'm going to get too close. I'm going to start doing it too. You, just, you already wanted to do that, and that was your excuse. Because it's easier to go, well, I got around them, and they... You're a grown adult. Pray. Get some self-control in your life. Get some fruit of the Spirit. Are y'all with me? Now listen, I want to make sure I'm clear. I want to make sure I'm clear because people can take things and go to extremes. I am not advocating this, to be clear. I just want to make sure I'm clear. I'm not advocating if you had a problem with alcohol in the past that you need to go belly up at the bar with somebody. That is not what I'm saying. I am not advocating that if you had a problem with, with, with lust that you need to go to that girl that you are attracted to and start talking to her and ministering to her. That is not what I'm talking about. So don't, yeah, ministering, we'll use with big air quotes. That is not what I'm talking about at all. There are some things that even when you're free, you need to use wisdom and some things and situations you just need to avoid. But what I'm saying is where you have relationships with people that are struggling, that have problems, that you don't shrink away from that and act like you don't know what the answer is. You know what the answer is. The answer is Jesus. The answer is restoration. The answer is what you have carried inside of you. The reason Jesus was a friend of sinners is because he was the perfect embodiment of love. And we, when we actually begin to love people, the fear of their sin begins to be driven out of us. We have, we have to tell people this sometimes in counseling because people come in and they assume that whenever you're, they're talking to you about their issues, it's the worst issue that we've ever heard. And I have to tell people all the time when they start, you know, trepidatious, I'm like, listen, whatever it is you're going through, we've heard it times 10 because people have problems and you don't have to be ashamed of your problems. You know, the way the enemy keeps people bound, shame. Enemy keeps people bound through shame because whenever you live in shame, you won't go to anybody about what you're struggling with, about what you're walking through, and you're forced to walk a road alone that you can't walk alone. Shame keeps more people bound than anything else.
I'm thoroughly convinced of that. So whenever all of a sudden your friend is going through something and you act repulsed by what they're going through, guess what happens? Shame. And I, I, I have feared, I, I fear that uh, over the course of the last probably several centuries, Christians have done more to keep people bound in shame than the devil half the time. Because we have shamed people, we have ostracized people, we have acted like people have a, some sort of disease when sin is in their life. I'm not scared of sin. I'm not scared of people's sin. I'm not scared of people's issues. You know why? Because the greater one lives inside of me. I'm not scared if I get around him. I might accidentally slip into sin. First of all, that's just the dumbest statement on the face of the planet. We slipped into sin. Nobody slips into sin. You walk there one day at a time, one step at a time, over the course of time. It doesn't happen overnight. Don't act like y'all are smart enough. Y'all know what I'm saying. Listen, whenever you begin to step out in love, incredible things begin to happen. Miracles and, deli and deliverance begin to happen when we begin to move in love. Bible tells us this in 1 John 4, 18. It says, there's no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear. Cast out fear. And I want to say about this house, this is a house of love. To be a house of restoration, we have to be a house of love. You can't be a house of restoration and not love people. You can't minister to people that you don't love. You will, Dad said this so much over the past several years. I don't know how much he actually, because we were gone for a portion of, of that. But one thing he said to me a lot when, especially when, I mean, let's just, let's all be real. We know things were incredibly contentious, just geopolitically and in, in culture and 2020, 2021, things were incredibly tense and contentious, Right. Y'all don't look at me like, I don't know what I'm talking about, Pastor. Y'all know exactly what I'm talking about. Things were tense, right? And one of the things that Dad said to me more than anything else over that, 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 that time span, he said, you can never minister to people that you villainize. You can never effectively to minister to people that you villainize. That's why we're not going to villainize anybody. I don't care what it is. Even if, even if we believe, and by the way, sin is sin. Right is right, wrong is wrong, sin is sin. But even when somebody's living in sin, if Jesus can love them, I can certainly love them. If Jesus is for them, I can certainly be for them. We have to shift our perspective. It is not us versus them. Us versus them doesn't get us anywhere. It is not us versus them. It is us for them. It is us for them. It is us for them that we will go and minister to them, that we will reach them where they are, that we will invite them to dine at our tables, even in their brokenness. Turn to Mark 5 real quick. Are you getting anything out of this today? I know this isn't necessarily a shout, run around the building message, but I hope it may be challenging some things in you. Because I'll just be honest, God did a work in my life in this over the past five or 10 years, especially. Because especially, I, I was talking to some youth leaders about this, whenever you're young and you're zealous for God, one of the, it can be very, very easy to adapt that us versus them, I'm more righteous than everybody else, that Elijah syndrome, there's nobody else. They're all sinners except me. 
it can be really easy to adapt and get into that mindset. And God has done a real work in me that everything that we do, if it is not based in and it is not moving from love, it will not be effective. We can't make enemies of people that God is calling to repentance. Even if they want to make an enemy of me, that's fine. If you want to make an enemy of me, you go for it. But I'm not going to make you my enemy. You can, you can call me all kind of names in the book, but I'm not going to return evil for evil. Because that's not what Jesus did. Jesus told us to turn the other cheek. Jesus said this. Jesus said this in, in, in the Sermon on the Mount. He said, if anyone compels you to carry their pack for a mile, you carry it too. And by the way, that was a very real thing that Jesus is referencing. Under Roman occupation, any Roman soldier could come to any Jew and literally give them their, their, their rucksack, their backpack, their, the thing they had to carry, and said, you've got to carry this for a mile. That was unjust. Can we agree? That was unjust. It was wrong. And Jesus said, hey, if they ask you to do it for a mile, you do it for two instead. Jesus. Well... Some of y'all don't like that Jesus, but that's what he said. Mark 5, I'll tell you to turn there, Mark 5, verse 1, it says this. Then they came to the other side of the sea to the country of the Gadarenes. And when he had come out of the boat, immediately there met him out of the tombs a man with an unclean spirit who had his dwelling among the tombs, and no one could bind him, not even with chains, because he had often been bound with shackles and chains. And the chains had been pulled apart by him, and the shackles broken in pieces. Neither could anyone tame him. And always, night and day, he was in the mountains and in the tombs, crying out and cutting himself with stones. When, G, when he saw Jesus from afar, he ran and worshiped him. And he cried out with a loud voice and said, What have I to do with you, Jesus, Son of the Most High God? I implore you by God, you do not torment me. For he said to him, Come out of the man, unclean spirit. Now jump to verse 20. And he departed, talking about, talking about the, 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 the maniac of Gadara, the Gadarene man. And he departed and began to proclaim in Decapolis all that Jesus had done for him, and all marveled. These people that were in his community tried to address a supernatural issue with a natural solution. Chains were never the solution for this Gadarene man. Chains were never the solution. Deliverance was. Restoration was. Breakthrough was. Chains were not the solution. People tried to stick him in a corner and put chains on him to control his behavior. I want you to hear me. Simply modifying behavior does not last. Restoration and deliverance last simply modifying your behavior you might can do it seasonally but without some deliverance without some restoration without Jesus showing up and changing the very foundation of who you are in that moment it will only last for a moment and what our culture and even at times church culture has attempted to do is address supernatural problems with a natural solution you don't just need the love there 
You need God to do something in your marriage supernaturally. You need restoration. You don't need just to go on another date. Nothing wrong with that. Do that. You need to do that. But that's not the only thing that you need. You need the supernatural power of God to put some things back together. You don't just need to put a safe search on your computer. You need God to come and deliver from the very desire that was there. You don't need to just take some medicine that makes alcohol or drugs taste bad to you. You need God to come in and do something inside of your life that removes the desire of those things that are driving you to destruction. You don't just need to send your kid a birthday card. You need the heart of the father to be turned to the children and the children to their fathers. We need supernatural solutions that show up and change people at the core of who they are, not just try to modify their behavior and put them in a box. That's what they did. They said, if we put him in a cave and chain him up, we won't have to look at his problem anymore. If we just get him out of view, out of sight, out of mind, we can't treat people that way. Out of sight, out of mind. If we can just make the people that have problems uncomfortable enough in church to where they don't come back, then we won't, if we just make it known that they're not welcome, then we won't have to deal with their mess. Your mess is welcome here. Your brokenness is welcome here. And I promise you, me, none of our staff, we're not going to recoil at your brokenness. Jesus didn't recoil at the brokenness of others. He reached out and ministered to them in their brokenness. He restored them. You can't just put people in a corner. We have to reach them with the power of God. I want you to hear this statement. If you don't hear anything else, I want you to hear this. There are people that are in bondage that are waiting for you to manifest the ministry of freedom that God's placed inside of you. There are people that are in bondage, that are waiting for an invite to sit at a table. There are people that are, have problems, that they're waiting for somebody to tell them, I love you and I know the answer. There are people that have issues and problems that are waiting for you to say, I love you where you are at, but I love you too much to allow you to stay where you're at. There are people that you encounter every day that need restoration. And I could go around this room today and we could talk about people in this room that God has restored and done an incredible work in their lives. Ministry and church is more than us just coming together, shouting, singing, let everything that has breath. Praise the Lord. I've got a reason to praise. You know, the reason I have a reason to praise is because I've seen his restorative power. You know, the reason that I have a reason to praise is because he's done things in my life that no person could fix, but only his power. You know, the reason that I can lift my hands and I can say, shout Jesus from the mountains and Jesus in the streets, because I've seen him be Jesus in the darkness over every enemy because whenever I was in places in my life where I felt like things were dark, there were people who always stepped into the darkness and said, you're not gonna sit in the dark alone. 
that whenever I felt like things couldn't be put back together, that people stepped in and said, oh, it can be put back together and we're not gonna allow you to stay in this place because this isn't what God's called you to. I'm thankful that whenever I've been broken, whenever I've been hurting, that I have been able to have people that step in and minister restoration. And here's the thing, whenever people who have been restored begin to really understand what God has done in their life, you know what that compels you to do? That whenever you see somebody who's in a dark place, then you step in and go, you're not gonna sit in the dark alone. That whenever you see somebody who's broken, that you step in and you go, I was broken once exactly where you are and somebody showed up and helped me put it back together and I'm here to walk this road with you because church isn't just some religious experience. It is a family that cares for each other, that wants the best for each other, that if something comes against you, it's not just coming against you, it's coming against all of us. If the enemy gangs up on one, he's gonna get all of us in response because there's a room for full of people that are going to have your back and you're going to receive restoration in your life. God has called this to be a house of restoration. Restoration. We aren't here to just see each other once a week, feel great about ourselves, and then go home. We're here to be a house of restoration. I said it already, but I'm going to say it again. They may not look like us. They may not smell like us. They might have the same philosophy as us. They may not have the same party as us. They may be mixed up in their gender identification. They might be messed up in their sexuality their marriage might be a mess their finances might be a mess I'm not scared of any of that because greater is he that is in me than he that is in the world and we will show up in the middle of your brokenness and say you will not stay here we will show up in the dark place and we will say we're going to sit here with you for a minute but then we're coming out of this cave into the light because we are a house of restoration a house of breakthrough a house of healing a house that sees lives change forever and ever and ever will you stand up to your feet this morning if you believe it but listen here's here's the thing here's the thing freedom can only be reached when we live with a heart of love if you don't love people, you'll never see people restored. We don't see people, re we don't want to see people restored so we can go, look what God did to us. We want to see people restored because we love those people. When people want to see people restored so they can brag about what they did, that's not God. The heart of God is we, listen, there are people in this room that we minister to that you never ever hear about because it ain't about me. It ain't about me. It's not even about high praise. It's about Jesus. It's about their life being put back together. Will you lift your hands to the Lord this morning? So repeat after to me today. Say, Father God, I thank you that this church is going to be a house of restoration, that it always has been, and that it always will be. Jesus, send us the broken. Send us the hurting. Send us the rejects. Send us the misfits. Send us the ones that everybody else has given up on because we know that you are the answer, that restoration is what you have for them. Freedom is what you have for them. Deliverance is what you have for them. And we're going to work with you to see that realized in their hearts and in their lives. In Jesus' mighty name, come on, will you lift your voice if you believe it this morning? 
Thanks again for downloading this podcast. We trust that this message has blessed, encouraged, and edified you. Make sure you subscribe so you never miss a message here from High Praise. Also, you can follow us on social media, on Facebook, and on Instagram. And don't forget to go subscribe to our YouTube channel. We'll be back soon with another incredible message. God bless you and have a great week.